Multi-Unit Month is brought to you by the DS Group, a multi-unit and multi-brand franchise group that prides itself on operational excellence, speed of service, and the growth of its people within the hospitality space. Welcome to this Multi-Unit Month takeover of the Global Franchise Podcast. This month, we're diving deep on the topics and trends impacting the multi-unit franchising model. I'm Kieran McLoon, editor for Global Franchise Magazine. Last week, we spoke with three multi-unit and multi-brand operators to learn firsthand about the challenges and opportunities presented by this growing style of business ownership. This week, we're speaking with four legal and financial experts to talk about the essentials that go towards building a stable, profitable multi-unit empire. After all, without the right kind of backing from a franchise lawyer or financial consultant, even the most experienced operator can run into their fair share of problems. By the end of this week's instalment, you'll have all you need to know to begin down a path towards multi-unit success. Our first guest today is Alan Dick, a partner at Sotos LLP. Alan is considered a trusted primary advisor to many of the top franchisors and has accrued more than three decades of experience practicing law in the franchising, licensing and distribution industry. We wanted to speak with Alan about the legal nuances that multi-unit franchisees need to tackle when compared to other kinds of business owners, as well as the kind of work that a legal partner like Sotos LLP will undertake on behalf of its multi-unit franchisee clients. And I thought we'd begin um, by talking about maybe particular legal problems or issues or nuances that are faced by um, multi-unit operators that other franchisees maybe don't encounter. Do those exist in your um, in your experience, Alan? Oh, absolutely. It's important just to note that there are two types of multi-unit franchisees. Sure. Uh, for the most common, we have franchisees that only operate multiple units in a single system, but there are also those who operate units in more than one system that we call mumbos or multi-unit multiple brand operators and they each present different legal considerations most of those considerations arise because there are clauses in standard form unit franchise agreements that must be modified for the multi-unit operator and therefore there is typically more negotiation that occurs between the franchisor and the multi-unit operator than would occur in the single unit situation. Mm. And I can just maybe highlight some of these types of uh, clauses that we need to give special consideration for, for the multi-unit operator. Uh, For instance, a standard franchise agreement usually requires the franchisee to dedicate its full time and attention to operating the unit. And of course, a multi-unit operator won't be doing that directly. So that needs to be considered. Um, the parties will also have to give consideration to cross-default provisions. You know, so, for instance, if a franchisee is in default in one unit, then the question is whether or not it will be considered to be in default in all of its units. If a franchisor will want it, it makes sense for a franchisor because they'll say, if I'm going to terminate the franchise agreement in one location, why do I still want the franchisee operating in my system? Um, but sometimes the default is, is location-specific. And uh, and so the franchisee may say, why should I lose my entire investment if I, if I have a problem at a particular location? Yeah. For me, the, there's this, this simple fact that in franchising, one plus one does not equal two. Uh, a good 
single unit operator just may not be a very good multi-unit operator and that has to be and that also has to be taken into account because the the franchisees attention or focus is spread out for more than one particular unit so those are examples confidentiality provisions obviously come into play because one of the reasons multi-unit operators like multiple units particularly multiple brands is they can use the experience and information they get in one system and apply best practices to another system so that's a type of provision that would have to be that would be, have to be looked at you know training when you go from one unit to more than one unit you don't necessarily need the same training or the expense of the training um, so that that's a that's a very important consideration but but ultimately uh, I believe that franchisors should encourage multi-unit operators uh, just because uh, it, it's a very key thing when you're selling franchises to be able to show that there are franchisees who are willing to invest in the system themselves. Um, and that's a, that's a key. That's always been a key, key selling point. But you never want a franchisee to get too big um, because sometimes they then uh, are able to have uh, more control than you necessarily want to give to uh, any uh, franchisee. And sometimes it raises issues in succession or on sales or transfers uh, when, uh, when say, the principal of that multi-unit uh, operator, um, you know, whether, the, you know, again, it could die, the person could die, there could be a, uh, you know, another issue when it comes to transfers. And so it's a, there's a concern if a multi-unit operator gets too big in any particular system. Absolutely. Yeah. No, I mean, the thing is, you say there's, you know, it is the ultimate endorsement having that deeper level of um, investment, but there is there is certainly a balance there. Um, just while we're kind of talking about your experience with multi-unit franchising, Alan, um, what kind of work do firms such as your own SOTOS LLP often do on behalf of multi-unit franchise clients? Sure. I mean, at SOTOS, we're Canada's largest franchise law practice. And so apart from doing work for a broad range of franchisors across every sector every in the, in the industry uh, in Canada, we also bring in U.S. franchisors into Canada or global, other global brands into Canada. Uh, we act for Canadian master franchisees and, and area developers bringing concepts into Canada. We'll also help brands export their systems and, and often obviously for unit franchisees who want to expand you know, within a particular system. So we pretty well cover the gamut of the types of activities that would be of interest to, to um, franchisors and multi-unit operators. And the, um, you know, the biggest issue I see is that it, franchising is often seen from a unit perspective of an individual buying a job. Um, but when it comes to multi-unit operators, it changes. They become more entrepreneurial. They're looking for the opportunity as an investment opportunity, more so than, say, a job. And those considerations are obviously are obviously very very different. So when you're working with someone who's looking to become a multi-unit operator, capitalization plans become important, um, exit strategies become important, and um, and and of course the fact that there's going to be a greater degree of negotiation in the multi-unit situation uh, it differentiates the the uh, you know what, what we do for franchisees in those situations. And of course a key issue is whether or not the multi-unit operator is going to be a master franchisee and have rights to sub-franchise or whether it's just going to be operating multiple units or multiple units across across brands. And um, there are pros and cons to, to each of those strategies. And you're obviously discussing those with the franchisors and the multi-unit operators when they're looking at the opportunities, which is the best situation for that particular brand at that particular time. Um, and uh, one of the issues that comes up often is like local adaptation. Uh, when uh, you have a new franchisee operator and system being exported or imported, 
um, you're looking at the possibility of adapting the system and that requires some local knowledge. Uh, there's also, of course, supply chain issues. And sometimes the, the multi-unit operator will become more involved in the supply chain than what might normally, normally be the case. We also see the more need for employment contracts. So uh, multi-unit operators are more dependent on their management team. And in, in cases where they're operating multiple brands and they want to use managers across brands, uh, then obviously the terms of the employment agreement should be looked at and uh, a well-crafted employment agreement is necessary. So that tends to be a little more unique in the, uh, the multi-unit operator uh, situation. Um, and as I mentioned earlier, access to capital is a big deal. So we are often looking at the, multi, at the multi-unit operator to see what sources of capital they have, what sources of capital they may be able to access, either through investors or lenders. Uh, that involves shareholders agreements and other types of lending agreements, which are of interest to the franchisor. Um, and so that that's obviously a, a more important aspect when you're dealing with multi-unit operators and say with a single unit, even a single unit operator. Yeah, no. And I, and I guess uh, you know one of the biggest uh, surprises I think for multi-unit operators is to understand exit strategies. Um, you just find that franchisees think that their business at a certain point is worth a certain value, um, but it's not necessarily the case because uh, let's say, and I'll give you a perfect example. Let's say I have a 10-year agreement and let's have a number of units and they all have different terms and my business is really good at year seven and I want to sell it, well, what am I selling? I've only got three years left in a term to sell. Who's going to want to buy that? And so if you're looking at the fact that you may be packaging units and the like or, or looking for exit strategies, you may need to negotiate that right from the beginning because uh, there will be limitations on your ability to sell and realize value from what it is that you've put together um, when you are operating as a multi-unit franchisee compared to someone else operating a standalone business or a franchisor. So those are those are important things that we deal with. Yeah, no, it certainly sounds like it's a much more, you know, multi-unit ownership is more, far more nuanced um, than it may kind of appear from the outside, particularly for someone who isn't as um, immersed in the franchise industry as multi-unit operators often are before they embark upon that more expansive kind of uh, entrepreneurial journey. Um, And that kind of brings us quite nicely to my final question for you, Alan, which is just kind of summarizing, I suppose, all of the things we've just covered. Um, What would be your go-to piece of advice to provide to an entrepreneur who is both new to franchising and is also looking to embark upon their own multi-unit journey for the uh, for the first time? Oh, it's an excellent question uh, because, there, like I say, there is this difference uh, between um, looking to operate a single unit from looking to be a multi-unit operator. And But but it starts with a, a single key piece that's common to both, and that is you've got to be very good at operating the single unit. So you have to understand the single unit economics and then from there, you have to appreciate what it means to then operate multiple units. Um, there are um, uh, increases in cost because you may need a bigger management team, but there also may be economies of scale. And so you've got to appreciate that uh, you, you have to become this expert at operating the unit. And then you've got to be looking at how, how it is that operating multiple units, whether in the same system or cross brands, uh, will provide you with those economies of scale and increases in value. And you will be looking at negotiating for sure, just because standard agreements don't necessarily contemplate these types of arrangements. And so you've got to be prepared to understand these issues and be prepared to, to negotiate them. Um, another key is diversification. Are, are you 
should you be looking at diversifying, uh, particularly in the hospitality space, restaurants, hotels, motels, or in home services, there can be tremendous value in operating across brands. It spreads your risk around, lets you see best practices from, from different brands. And so, you know, the would-be uh, multi-unit operator should be considering diversification you know, at, at, at an early stage and whether or not that makes sense. And, and again, as other, as I explained before, access to capital and also it's, you know, developing that exit strategy or some sense of the exit strategy is going to be a very important matter. And, you know, when you think about your journey, uh, it's interesting that you'll be speak, thinking about the end of the journey just even before you embark on the beginning of it. And, uh, and that's pretty critical because it's much different than operating a, an independent business. When you have these contractual restrictions and, and understanding where the value lies in a multi-unit operation, how you're going to one day extract that are, are very key pieces that are often not fully understood, we find, when we're dealing with people who are getting involved in these businesses to begin with. So I think those are the, the, the key pieces that, uh, that any would-be multi-unit operators should be thinking of uh, at the beginning and, and obviously then start their exciting journey. One of the key points that Alan spoke to was the distinction between what it can mean to be a single unit operator when compared to a franchisee who owns a multi-unit portfolio. A single unit franchisee may view the model as them buying a job, but it becomes a more entrepreneurial, managerial endeavour when this is expanded to multiple locations. This should feed into the way that an owner thinks about embarking on their own multi-unit franchising journey and the kinds of leadership skills that they'll need to possess. Alan also spoke about the idea of a multi-unit franchisee sometimes getting too large and the ways in which a franchisor would have to look at handling this. This naturally shouldn't dissuade franchisees from building their own multi-unit network, but it's something to consider for individuals or organisations who expect to pump loads of money in at the beginning and ramp up at scale. They may be met with buffers to instead encourage sustainable, mutually beneficial growth. This idea of sustainable growth is something that we wanted to cover with our next guest, Michael O'Driscoll, Chief Operating Officer at Homefront Brands. Michael has worked with countless franchises over the years on the development and financial side of things and is acutely aware of the challenges that multi-unit operators face. We wanted to catch up with him to discuss strategies for growth as well as his thoughts on the all-important question, what kind of brand should investors go for when building their own portfolio? We'll start with kind of one of those kinds of questions that are sort of a golden question, which is maybe hard to pin down a specific answer for, but all franchisees are asking at the moment. Um, so what, in your opinion, Michael, is the most sustainable strategy for multi-unit franchising growth, whether that's buying one location and building out from there or acquiring several stores at once? What would you generally recommend? Yeah, it's a good question, Kieran. And um, let's assume that someone has embraced the idea of entrepreneurship through multi-unit franchising. There is not necessarily one playbook for success. It really does depend on quite a few factors. And the first factor I would say is, um, first of all, is there alignment with the franchisor? Some franchisors are very keen on multi-unit franchising because they see that as a more productive method of scaling their franchise system. You're dealing with known quantities in the existing franchisees who perhaps might be like, like to buy multiple territories, or um, they see it as more efficient 
to uh, market their franchise opportunities as a multi-unit franchise opportunity um, to new operators uh, because they they might have the same number of territories as they scale, but they're dealing with less operators. So again, um, it will get down to um, attitude and approach of the franchisor. And then let's just say that uh, franchisee, whether they're an existing franchisee or a new franchisee, um, understanding some of the principles of, of multi-unit franchising. So inevitably, I think the most robust approach is that if they're going into a greenfield opportunity, so they're new territories without any existing franchise operations of that brand, they want to probably start with one, prove themselves out, develop their knowledge um, and their expertise in running the business, build the relationship with the franchisor, rule of thumb, want to run something successfully for 12 months, and then they would um, seek to open uh, other franchises in the other territories that they um, have owned. Uh, again, it's about what is the plan and alignment with the franchisor. And there, if you're going into an existing multi-unit franchise where you might, say, be in a quick service restaurant, there might be uh, three, four, five or more. Um, that's a bigger type of transaction, different types of people are buying it, and um, it's a slightly different uh, approach altogether. So not necessarily one size fits all. I think it gets down to the sector, whether it's a physical store location or a service-based business, the sector that they operate in and the dynamics of that particular sector and the approach of the franchisor around multi-unit franchise. And um, would you say that the funding side of that multi-unit growth is equally kind of, you know, not one size fits all, or is there sort of general strategies that you'd advise or you've seen when it comes to funding that sort of multi-unit growth? Yeah, that's that's also interesting. There is absolutely a methodology for uh, funding multi-unit growth. Again, it gets down to the circumstances. Is this Greenfield uh, franchise territories or is the franchisee buying an existing multi-unit business structure? So, um, and also there's the rules, um, um, of course, from the lenders to uh, the franchisee. Now, if it's, you've, you'll read the stories of some multi-unit franchisees, they have hundreds or hundreds of franchise operations, a very different kind of funding arrangement going on in place there. It's very much tier one banking. Um, if they're buying more uh, territories or more um, outlets that are existing, they could be funding it out of um, their own cash position. Um, because they might have the cash reserves to do so. If they're a greenfield uh, multi-unit franchise opportunity and they've bought five territories, um, usually if they're getting the money uh, from a tier one lender, like a bank um, or a very well-known franchise finance provider, there'll be an agreement to finance the first territory and that franchisee will have to build out that business and probably for the first 12 months run it really well and um, or you know, whatever the period of time is agreed to. And then um, they'll get the money for the de- develop the second territory and the third and so forth. Um, so again, very much down to the individual circumstances of the, uh, the franchisee, the policies of the franchisor, and of course, where that funding comes from, it will have its own set of credit rules. And um, and when we're looking at multi-brand operators, kind of a bit of a parallel, I suppose, to multi-unit, um, during the pandemic, do you think that having a multi-brand portfolio allowed certain franchisees who may have owned units within different industries to, for example, take revenue from the high-performing units they owned and support their shutdown locations? Is, this, is that something you saw or is that typically kind of forbidden or distant, you know, not really uh, advised by the franchising uh, model? Look, 
This is tricky. Tough times often call for, uh, shall we say, innovative approaches to uh, getting through them. Sure. If you're, a, and this is an interesting, phen- well, it's not a phenomenon, but it, it, it's multi-brand franchising. I think it's been around for a while, but I, it's growing in popularity. It's different to multi-unit, as you know. Multi-unit implies multiple units in the one franchise brand, yeah. and multi-brand is a franchisee that owns franchises across different brands. Um, very prevalent in uh, food. Um, you're seeing it a bit now in the services sector. Um, I would say, uh, again, in my in my experience during the pandemic, when some businesses were doing very well and didn't necessarily need to rob Peter to pay Paul, so to speak, and uh, others were having to juggle the cash um, because that was the circumstances that they were in. As long as they had the cash to juggle from one brand to another, I think there needed to be a lot of transparency between franchisees and franchisors around the way cash was managed. Generally, that's what I saw. There was high levels of cooperation. I don't know, though, whether you can say unequivocally that having a multi-brand franchise portfolio as a franchisee mitigates any more risk than having multi-unit under one brand. I think it gets down to what level of cooperation did you have with your franchisor in terms of how you were supporting one another? What advice did you get? What were cooperation did you get from your lenders if there were borrowings in the business? And certainly, did you have the ability to do it all? Do it at all? Because did um, one of your brands perform better than another? It really gets down to those individual circumstances, but there was probably evidence of that happening uh, throughout the pandemic. Um, but thankfully, I don't know whether too much. Right. Okay. Well, that's good to hear. Um, the the final question I had for you, Michael, is a similar one of those golden questions which people are probably asking before they get into franchising for the first time. And that is, um, in 2022, what, in your opinion, is the best kind of multi-unit or multi-brand combination um, to operate for highest possibility of success with regards to you know particular industries that you think people should maybe jump into right now? Uh, it's the million dollar question, Kieran. Um, sure. I wish I wish I had a dollar for every <laughs> time I've been asked that question. Wouldn't be on the podcast. So the the answer to this is in I think what are the current trends in franchising? Like property and home services, uh, very popular still, and will probably continue its great run. Hmm. Um, so I think if you are looking for a multi unit or even a multi brand strategy. In that space, uh, that's that's still very strong, and the outlook looks strong. Uh, I think food is uh, coming back in its various forms. Obviously, as the pandemic um, dissipates a little, um, obviously they're operating to a different standard with different sensitivities and issues that they have to address. But I, I'm hoping that they learnt a lot through this process, and there was certainly a lot of innovation in the, in, the, in that sector. But you'd like to think as um, various markets around the world, and particularly in the United States, stabilize that um, that sector will roll back into life, and it kind of is. Uh, I think um, anything to do with kids is looking very strong as well. Um, so um, that's, you know, everything from uh, entertaining kids to education. Uh, that's, uh, that's a strong sector, I think. Whether or not you can actually get a multi-brand strategy going across those strong sectors is the question. And I think it's something that some franchisors still aren't sure about. Um, I think multi-unit, yep, very popular, will continue to be popular. It's the way the sector's operating. But I don't think um, multi-brand is, I think it's there and it will continue to develop, but I think it will follow the trend of what are the strong sectors. 
And people learnt a lot about that during the pandemic, about what are the robust sectors to be in. For my money, property and home services still very popular and unlikely to wane over the coming years. Michael's comments on multi-brand franchisors managing their way through the pandemic were especially noteworthy during our conversation because they highlighted a key issue that entrepreneurs need to bear in mind when looking for suitable brands. That being, make sure that you fully understand the relationship before signing on the dotted line. Some brands will be very strict about the kinds of multi-brand portfolio you can assemble, while others may be more forward-thinking and embrace your right to flexibility. It's very important that this is understood by all parties ahead of time so that you don't encounter any unforeseen roadblocks once the contracts have been confirmed. Our final guests today are joining us to provide more information on the financial side of multi-unit franchising. Sherry Cyber is the president of FranFund and is joined by Shane Mora, the VP of Lending, to discuss the kind of work that a financial partner can do on behalf of burgeoning multi-unit franchisees. We wanted to learn more about the financial queries that Sherry and Shay's clients often bring to them, and more importantly, the solutions that they found along the way. Um, the genesis of FranFund was to provide potential franchisees or other small business owners with multiple funding solutions under one roof. And that is an important point because funding strategies for multi-unit owners or potential multi-unit owners could be more than just a loan. So one of the things that FranFund does is do a thorough analysis of a potential owner's financial situation and provide a roadmap. So best case scenario for us is if we start working with that candidate before they've bought the first unit. Second best, of course, is if they now have that first unit and are ready to expand to the second, third, and beyond that. And we can certainly do um, an analysis. The things that we concern ourselves with are, you know, how have they managed that business so far and try and provide them some, with some coaching of things to proactively do to keep in mind that they're always considering that next unit. And there are some tactics that um, owners would want to take advantage of if they are planning on being a multi-unit owner. So we would love to work with candidates through the life of their business cycle and our expertise in having uh, what we lovingly refer to as our um, recovering bankers on staff allow us to do that analysis with great success and, and great accuracy. Great. And um, Shay, when you've got these multi-unit franchises coming to you guys for support and guidance and strategy and all those kinds of things, um, what would you say are some of the main concerns that you hear from them with regards to funding guidance and how are those often resolved on your end? I think whether someone's opening multi-units or a single unit, um, the main concerns are usually pretty, the, pretty much the same. I think the two most common, though, you know, of course, the biggest concern is typically, can I qualify for funding to finance this and how much money is this going to cost me? For multi-unit franchisees, we really try to break this down by the amount that they need to get the units being open first. And then, of course, ensure that they have enough leftover liquidity and income needed to meet the qualifications to finance those additional units or even self-fund if they prefer that route. And then an additional concern, especially in today's rising rate environment, is getting competitive terms. So for your established multi-unit franchisees, 
that own three or more units, we do have a very competitive conventional program. And for your startup franchisees, SBA programs and the rollover for business startup or a combination of both um, will likely be the best route. So for either loan program, we do work with top lenders that offer very competitive terms. Right. Okay. And my um, final question just for the both of you is um, what would be your sort of go-to tips and advice for an entrepreneur who is maybe at the very start of their multi-unit journey and has no idea how to handle the funding portion of their strategy moving forward? Um, Shay, if we begin with you on that one. So I think it's, you know, extremely important to figure out the funding piece first before they commit to a multi-unit plan and start signing final contracts. Because we want to ensure that they have the best route based on their financial needs and whatever their business plan is. So using a company like Free and Fund just helps make that so much simpler. Because like Sherry said, we do have our lending specialists. They have a very thorough complimentary um, upfront consultation. And they will use that time to implement funding strategies for not only their initial unit, but their future growth plan as well. And um, Sherry, have you got any closing thoughts on kind of the strategy for... uh for franchisees pursuing this path? Well, again, and it seems a very common theme for both Shay and I, but having a strategy from the minute you open your doors on the very first unit is probably the best go-to tip we can come up with. Often a multi-unit franchisee will want to start working on the second unit before the first one is breaking even. And lenders... Uh, whose number one concern is how are you going to repay the loan um, are usually concerned with that type scenario. Now, maybe that scenario is right on track. I mean, if they're trending positively, there's usually going to be a gap uh, in time from when the first unit opens to when the banks are comfortable with that second unit opening or the third unit opening. Once you get to the third unit, there's usually a rhythm because at that point, there's been demonstrated ability to repay the loan from the perspective of the lender. And so uh, it becomes much easier. But that unit number one and two, critical to pay attention to a lot of those details. What's the funding? What's the projections? How are you going to execute? How are you going to buy groceries for yourself and your family um, as you're going through that part of the business where you may not be covering, have cash flow coverage of the the total nut. Um, And so all of those things are critical and you put yourself in the best possible position by planning ahead for all of those potential scenarios. As Shay touched on during our conversation, it's very important for entrepreneurs to work out the funding side of their expansion plans before embarking on any other step of the journey. Without enough capital or support, an ambitious multi-unit franchising plan may not be able to get off the ground. And as Sherry mentioned, the first and second unit within your portfolio are often critical as they will set the tone and pace for the rest of development. Don't try to run before you can walk. Even the most experienced operators ensure that their strategy is sound before rapidly scaling. That brings us to the end of this third episode of the Multi-Unit Month Takeover of the Global Franchise Podcast, but make sure you come back next week for our fourth and final instalment where we'll be joined by three more franchising experts to discuss the trends and factors determining the future of the business model. And to keep your finger on the pulse of all things multi-unit franchising, 
head to our dedicated microsite at globalfranchise.com forward slash multi-unit month.